just another wonderful first couple of weeks being a Cleveland Browns fan in a new football season. Nothing like the smell of freshly cut grass, the crack of unfortunate body parts, and the awe of crappy moments when your team blows 20-point leads and brings other miseries to your Sunday morning. Hasn't it been a pleasurable open to the 2016 season so far? And yes, it will continue this Sunday in the heat and humidity of Miami with a rookie third-string quarterback and half your roster missing. Welcome to the Browns Note, everyone, where we try and put a smiley face on that nonsense. It's uh, Friday before Friday of week three of the NFL season. We've got a game at Miami this weekend. The Browns, of course, have lost the first two to Philadelphia 29-10, and then this past week 25-20 to the Baltimore Ravens. One would hope it will get slightly better, but there are reasons to be concerned that it will not. Once again, this is Ryan Burns coming to you from Dog Pound West in Orange County, California. If you want to hit that follow button on Twitter, it is at FTBL Sickness, or the show is at The Browns Note. Appreciate all love and interaction there. Uh, just real briefly, opening perceptions before we start talking to Pete Smith in a little more detail. See, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the overview guy. I like to I watch everything and I analyze it for myself, but I'm not going to get too d- down deep into the weeds because, frankly, A, I'm not qualified, and B, I know people who are better at it than I am anyway. So I I give you sort of the 20,000-foot view as I see it, and then I try and drill down with those guys. The 20,000-foot view as I see it so far is it's what we thought. It's a very young team with quarterbacks who like to get themselves hurt, and here we are. Um, You know, Griffin, to me, was not playing well in that week one. He was fine. There there were moments where I thought, okay, we're going to get enough out of him. And then as the game progressed, you started to see that there just wasn't that the ability to take command of the field the way you'd like to see a starting quarterback do it. And I, you know, you can mirror it against Wentz or whatever you want to do. I, I don't like to play that game. I, you didn't take Wentz. Time to get over that. There are going to be plenty of other quarterbacks. There are quarterbacks all the time that good teams manage to find, even though they're not drafting number one overall. In fact, we can see that phenomenon throughout the Browns division. Not one of those guys was drafted number one overall, and you could have had all of them. So all you need to do is put together a good team, and when you find yourself in a position to draft a quarterback you like in the first round, you do it. Now, that's going to be unsatisfying for a lot of you if it's not at number one next year, and I get it. I don't care where they get him as long as they get him. So we'll wait and see on that part of it. It's pretty clear at this juncture that he's probably not on the roster today. And I guess you can hope that Cody Kessler will reverse my perception of that. Uh, I don't have a lot of hope in that regard. So anyway, there's that. Uh, I do like what I see out of a lot of these young guys, and I'll, I'll mention that to Pete and see if I can get his thoughts on it. But all the guys from this draft class that have been playing so far, it seems to me, have made contributions. Now, some of them have been asked to do more than you probably would want them to and have been overwhelmed at moments. But nevertheless, I, I've loved what I've seen out of Coleman and Nassib, even Ogba, who you can tell is – I like to make the Labrador puppy uh, metaphor with, with Ogba because he's huge and he's got these big paws and he's super active and energetic and enthusiastic about what he's doing, but he's going to bump into stuff all over the place. He's not really sure what he's doing, and he's just excited to be there. Uh, that's fun to watch. I mean, when you have that kind of athleticism going at full speed and just trying to sort of train itself – you can start to get glimpses of a potentially very exciting future. So I'll talk to Pete about all that stuff. We've got the game against Miami this weekend. We'll talk about that as well. 
And uh, my apologies for last week. I got pretty sick. Didn't want to didn't want to put you all through a half hour of me wheezing and sneezing on uh, on a microphone. So I'm a little better now, and we'll get through this one, and then we'll be back again next week following what I think most of us think could be uh, a rough go on Sunday. But at any rate, here's Pete Smith and myself. We'll chat for about, I think it's about a half hour talk. And uh, on the flip side of it, I'll talk to you. See ya. All right, I'm happy to be joined once again by my man Pete Smith, who of course does work for both Draft Breakdown and NFL Spin Zone. You can find him on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore, and we're going to talk about everything we've seen the first two weeks and what we might see this coming week. Well, we probably can't get to everything we've seen the first two weeks because it's been rather eventful, but we'll start. Pete, how's it going, man? All good. Just let me know when to get out for those live reads. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're gonna they're gonna be coming hot and uh, and repetitively for the next few months, I'm sure. As the uh, as the season becomes more and more rosy by the day, let's talk the first couple of weeks first. Uh, obviously, everything that could go wrong has uh, from injuries to blown twenty point leads to stupid mistakes to you know more Josh Gordon drama to you name it. Uh, we've had it all, but let's let's focus first on um, just sort of broadly. I do want to talk about the rookies because it seems to me like it, while there's a lot to be disappointed about, and, and certainly the injuries to both Corey Coleman and Carl Nassib are high on that list for me, I'm at least fairly buoyed so far by what I've seen out of this rookie class, which of course the reason why you focus on that is this is the first class that this particular regime and head coach have, have been around to choose. And so when you see good play in real games out of guys like Coleman, who just couldn't be stopped in this past game unless he was trying to stop himself, which he did a couple of times, and, and the way Nassib played the first game and all preseason and the way things were coming along for some of these other guys, it's starting to feel like, okay, well, maybe, maybe they have some idea what they're doing in terms of evaluating talent. And, of course, uh, one would assume we're going to get a better look, given these injuries, at a couple more of those guys going forward. What, what are your thoughts on, on, you know, obviously very early returns on the young guys? Uh, I mean, obviously, Carl Nassib uh, has been just good. I mean, there's no way of getting around it. I mean, he, he gave Lane Johnson, who is, you know, artificially enhanced, but one of the best better right tackles in football. He gave him all he could handle. Uh, he's just consistently a problem. Now the broken hand uh, and the gruesome details that go into it are unfortunate. Uh, getting your hand stuck in a guy's face mask. Uh, but, I mean, every, everything you've seen from him doesn't look like flukish. He just looks like a good player who works really hard and, and gets after it, uh, whether it be against the pass or the run. And, and I think uh, to... I think he, he honestly, in, what's sad to, sad to say is he's probably the most reliable guy on that defense right now. Uh, and I think there's a certain amount of his character that's sort of rubbed off on this defense. Uh, everybody is just super high motor, uh, energetic, not always right, but man, they work hard and, and, and they end up doing, doing some things that look pretty good, especially against the run. Uh, Corey Coleman, I mean, he had uh, I, I, the dream, you know, 
the dream game for what we wanted to see from him. 100 yards, two touchdowns. He could have had could have had even more than that. Uh, the only thing I found weird is all the talk about Chris Tabor being confident with Corey Coleman on punt returns, and and we see uh, Tremont Williams back there, and then Joe Hayden back there. So that's the only thing that's sort of the missing ingredient for for all the talk of what we wanted to see from Corey Coleman. But uh, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm excited what we see what we've seen, and and I was really excited to see where he could go from here. Uh, I am. As much as it's disappointing to see Corey Coleman, I am sort of excited, I guess, to see Richard Higgins and hopefully Jordan Payton start get to rep a little bit and, and get in there because I think both those guys can help uh, this team and, and, and contribute early. Or if they can't, I think we're going to find out real fast one way or the other. Uh, and then, you know, Joe Schobert, you know, keeps – there's at least a couple times a game you're like, man, that's a nice play from Joe Schobert, and and you know he gave, uh, he gave uh, came up with some nice plays against the Ravens. He came up with a nice pass deflection against the Eagles, and then Ogba got around on uh, Stanley once. Uh, he he, I, I still maintain he's a project, but he's a fun project. So there's a lot to sort of like, uh, and then on the other hand, uh, there's Cody Kessler. <laughs> and and we'll get to Cody because we're going to obviously see him this weekend. Um, but let's briefly at least look back from a football standpoint at what we saw these first couple of weeks beyond just a, a quick rookie review. Obviously, nothing going beautifully. The first game to me, I'll just give you my sort of summary of each game, and then I'll have you dig into it a little bit deeper. With the Eagles, what I saw generally was, um, number one, the Eagles were better coached in that game. I thought I thought the Browns came out and tried to get, you know, Hugh tried to get way overly cute. That's the way I saw it. Um, they, you know, you made a, a point about the Baltimore game where they gave up on rushing, you know, the Eagles game, they just, they weren't very effective on offense from start to finish. And for me, I think a lot of that had to do with Griffin. Um, there were, there were some things that I liked from what we saw from Griffin, but basically he came out and looked like a, a relatively poor version of himself, I think. Um, and it looked better against Baltimore, obviously with the vet, Josh McCown out there, you know, you're going to get a little more consistency of play, but he was still, as always, Josh McCown. He'll make a beautiful throw one play. The next play, he'll do something completely inexplicable or hold the ball for an extra 10 seconds and get himself killed. Um, and of course there have been just a rash of injuries over those two games. Um, and, and it's really frustrating when you're trying to get a handle on who are the people that can play, which to me is really the purpose of this season all the way around, and and guys that you think are the answers to some of those positions can't stay on the field. So that's problematic. But the other couple of things I noticed, as you said, the defense looks like it can get some things done, if if even if it's by sheer accident sometimes um, and by force of will. It's better than getting nothing done ever, uh, and, and it's certainly an improvement. Now, the back end is still an obvious disaster. They're going to have to hit the corner and safety positions, I think, pretty hard in the offseason. And, uh, and I just don't see anything consistently threatening to the opposition from the defensive side of the ball. I, I, I see streaks of promise, right? I see things where the young guys on the defensive line are coming along. A couple of those linebackers do things I like. I don't see much in the secondary that I like. Aside from Derek Kindred being really willing to hit you, that's about as far as I'll go on it so far. So not a good team, but I, I do see at least streaks of things that lead me to believe that by the end of this season, they might be a lot better than they are right now. Well, I mean... If they have the guys the, alive uh, to do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Derek Kindred is fun, 
he's also wildly inconsistent. Like he, he's a popular guy. I know a lot of people want to see him play more. And he's doing everything I'd expect from a fourth round rookie. Right. Uh, trying to make it work. And he's not playing like a traditional position. He's doing sort of a specialist package. So when he's right, it's pretty good. Uh, but there, there are a lot of times it's wrong. Um, I mean, the, the purge of the, the old guard and, and getting guys that they feel fit their, this team has resulted in Jamar Taylor being handed a job. He has no business playing, no business deserving. And he's been every bit as awful as the Dolphins thought he was. Uh, on, on one side, Joe Hayden is battling a groin on the other side and, and isn't practicing today. So all of a sudden it's, you know, it's Tremont Williams and hmm. so, you know, that, that part's infuriating. I, I, I think Ibrahim Campbell is the steadying force. And I, I think in some respects, he's almost held back because he's got to cover up for other guys' mistakes, but still he, you know, when they blitz him, he makes him, he, he makes a count. Uh, there's a lot of things I like seeing from that. Uh, you know, as much as, there isn't a guy that scares anyone on offense. I, I did enjoy the fact that even though they never actually stacked Joe Flacco, they made him pay for more than a few times, uh, holding on to the ball a little bit longer. They got to Wentz a, a number of times. The, nothing is consistent, but there are certainly things that you, you look at and you're like, this could eventually be something. Uh, Nate Orchard, uh, I, I don't know what the long-term prognosis is with him. But, you know, at least twice a game, he seems to end up landing on the quarterback and, and he doesn't, he doesn't uh, get cheated when he gets there. Right. Uh, I, I think maybe the most promising thing uh, you can take right now with Nass about is, is Danny Shelton. He's inconsistent, but when he goes, it's, it can be frightening and he creates a place for the guy, other guys. Uh, and the, and the guy I'm really thrilled with in his third year is Chris Kirksey. I think, yeah. He has been wow. better, and I, think, and I think the scheme has really agreed with him. For I think Ray Horton and the scheme are really maximizing what Chris Kirksey can give you, uh, and and I think every week you're seeing really nice plays that I don't think. Not only do I think it's a good match of his skill set with the scheme, but I think the the past two games you've seen plays from Chris Kirksey. I don't think he makes last year or the year before. Yeah, I agree with you completely. He looks like a completely different guy. Um, Shelton, like you said, coming along. The thing I'm kind of excited about, and I definitely wanted to ask you about it on this week's podcast. Frankly, I wanted to ask you last week, but all our pals down in Jacksonville, of course, are distraught over the loss of Tyrone Holmes, who they cut and tried to squeak onto their practice squad, but the Browns claimed he played 10 snaps last week, and according to some you'll listen to, he had three pressures, but, I, you know, never mind the numbers. Just watching him, um, this looks like a guy that can get to a quarterback. I, you know, I understand – that he's probably a little raw, played out of uh, played out of Montana, and is is a young guy who I believe was a sixth round pick of the Jags this year. Um, and I, I, I'll just tell you, this is the kind of thing you need to luck into when you're going to make you know strides. And if it, is is he somebody you think could grow into a a full time role, or is he more of a a pass rush specialist kind of guy? Um, I think for the the time being. You know, he, he you hope he's a pass rush specialist, and anything beyond that uh, would be an enormous bonus. Uh, but he's just active, and even though he's only six two, he plays really long. Like he looks bigger than that. He like, does, he, and he's strong. He, he, just, he just gets after it, and and you know, there's 
like that seems to be the character of this defense. Just find guys who are going to get after it and, and find a way to disrupt. So, I mean, I agree. They, you know, with the Browns being in the position they're in, they've got to be able to to find these types of opportunities and make them count. Uh, I think, you know, out of the guys they picked up on waivers, he's easily the most promising uh, of that group. Uh, you know, I, Corey Lemonnier, or however he wants to pronounce it now, I thought that was a waste of time. I don't think he gives you anything. Yeah. But Tyrone Holmes is exactly the type of guy you want to bring in in this situation. And the other guy I'm excited about is Anthony Fabiano, who they signed to the uh, Browns practice squad, who is by testing every bit as athletic as, as Joel Batonio, uh, Harvard guy, which I'm surprised it took this long. And, wow. and anyone who's suggesting that it's, he's, it's just because he's a Harvard guy, he's a freaky athlete. And if they can sort of develop him and he stays on that practice squad or even ends up on the bronze active roster, uh, he's a guy I'm keeping an eye on for, for down the road as a potential you know, long-term right guard. And since you're talking about the offensive line and, and the injury to Cam Irving being at least a semi-long-term one, we've had to shake up the offensive line. How do you see the way the immediate shakeup will impact the team? Because they were doing some decent things at times, especially in the run game to me. I mean, the pass protection I expected to be just basically fine, and I feel like it has mostly. I mean, there have been spots where guys have been overwhelmed and just quarterbacks have gotten killed, but I also think these quarterbacks have a tendency to get killed. So, you know, I'll leave it to your more experienced eyes to tell me what's going on there. But the switch of the of the center and, of course, it seems like we're all sort of waiting for someone to really be the obvious call to take over that right tackle spot. And while Pastor's had some really good moments, he's also had some some rough go, as, as I think most of us would have expected against um, decent outside pass rushers. What do you see in both short, short and long term along, along that, that right side predominantly? Because I think we know what we're doing with the left. Uh, Cam Irving was good. Uh, I think he did a very good job against Philadelphia. I think the Browns' pre- pass protection was almost uh, was was really good. Other than that one uh, play where Fletcher Cox just decided he was going to kill somebody no matter what. That uh, that was the one play where they just got killed. Robert Griffin the uh, third sacked himself twice, and then obviously hurt himself on a scramble. This past week, I don't know how much the Cam Irving's Health played into it, but he just wasn't consistent. He had a lot of uh, pass protection breakdowns, and anytime uh, he does something wrong, it's it's magnified because there's an element of people who are just want to crush this kid. And you saw it against Philadelphia with the bad snap, and, and that's an inexcusable mistake. It just is, but that was his mistake in that game. He was actually pretty effective, and and that's the only thing people can remember. But in Baltimore, he legitimately had issues where you could criticize him because he just didn't play very well. So John Greco is nowhere near the athlete Cam Irving is. So you're limited in terms of maybe what you can do, but from an assignment standpoint, he should be better. There shouldn't be the issues with breakdowns. There shouldn't be those, those sort of mental uh, lapses that, that we've seen with Irving because he just doesn't know any better. Alvin Bailey is a very athletic guard i you know but if he couldn't beat out greco it leaves you to wonder what he could do in terms of technique that should be interesting to keep an eye on but it, i don't think it's a massive downgrade he should be fine i mean he's he's uh, only 26 which is why i think it's worth keeping him around athletic with upside 
Uh, so we'll see what that happens. And then as you, you and I have talked about this. I think Austin Pastor is a pretty good right guard who just happens to be playing right tackle. Uh, when he's a run blocker, he's nasty. He's a really good yeah. puller. He can get after it. But when you space is his enemy, and and when you have to you know get out there and try to stop the speed rusher, and, and his angle is wrong, or he's just you know he, his geometry's off, he gets beat, and that's you know that's what you'd expect from a guy who's probably not you know uh, equipped to play out there. I mean, ideally, I think. I don't. I don't know where the Browns feel on on this, but I think Austin Pastor should, you know, ideally play right guard. Uh, but that all depends on one Sean Coleman, and and we don't know where he is in this development. Uh, you know, obviously he came off the MCL injury coming out of Auburn. It's unclear when he came, you know, fully healthy and was able to really start working on that, and then obviously making the transition from left tackle to right tackle, which is. You know, akin to trying to, if you're you right with your right hand, trying to pick up a uh, pencil with your left hand, and how long that takes to be, you know, just as good. Uh, that's sort of what he's battling. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think as soon as he's ready to go, I think they'll plug him in because that's what he's there for. So that's, I think, where this is going. Uh, and then, you know, I think I think Cam Irving, as much as fans may hate it and people may criticize it, I think they really do believe in Irving and think he's a long-term answer. And so I think ultimately you've got Irving at center. I think they hope Sean Coleman at right tackle. And then you've got a, a bunch of guys who, you know, Greco's sort of a, a, a nice stopgap who's actually played pretty well. I mean, that 85-yard run from Powell, he made a great pull, seal, uh, to blow that open. That whole uh, but play was blocked those... so beautifully. That that whole play yeah. was just, everybody hit their blocks perfectly. The hole was gaping. And, I mean, all Kroll had to do was n- not miss it, which, you know, admittedly, I'm glad he didn't, given his history. Yes, and uh, our fullback from last year uh, made a huge block on that, and he's another guy who's yep. gotten a little bit better this year. Uh, so, I mean... You've got a, you've got about three young guys that could potentially be that red guard or or, or maybe that long term answer is not on the roster, but I, I think they have a plan. I don't think fans like that plan, but that's sort of where they're at. You buying any of this stuff about? It came up again this week, particularly vis a vis Seattle. Any of this stuff about trading Joe Thomas? I, it's, it's fun to talk about, but it, it, you know, right? Here's the it, thing: it's it makes sense, Joe, but I don't think it's going to happen. It, it makes sense for the Seahawks. I don't think it makes sense <laughs> for the Browns. I, I, because honestly, you can say, "Well, they're going to be bad. Let's get you know, let's let's take it down to the studs." That's fine until you realize once Joe Thomas isn't there, who's your next left tackle? Suddenly, it's Spencer Drango who was in for two plays this past week and right. missed both of them. Uh, so it's it, it's not like baseball. It's not like you know you're just trading a left fielder and somebody right. else is going to be out there in left field. If Joe Thomas isn't in there, suddenly it's, you know, that running it with Crowell probably doesn't happen. Uh, our quarterbacks are getting killed even more often than they already are. Right. In totally addition, to, let's, let's talk about all the benefits that Joe Thomas would have for these young guys in the locker room. Uh, you know, as much as this team has sort of demolished the idea of veterans being a, a worthwhile uh, benefit on the defensive side of the ball. They actually have uh, vets on the offensive side of the ball to try to teach these, some of these young kids. I mean, can you imagine uh, whether it's Batonio or Irving or Coleman or any of these guys having a better resource than Thomas, who is so totally invested in young guys getting better? I mean, uh, it, it's 
my my whole argument with the Joe Thomas thing is you are never going to get back what you'd be losing in trade. And the other part of that that's working against them on this is they Denver offered, you know, believed to be a first and a third last year. If you turn that down, you have to get more now. And that's a really hard thing to imagine. Are you really going to get like a first and a second? Are you really going to get like a first and a third and something? And then how many draft picks is enough? Right. That's the other part of this. And then I, you're talking to somebody who loves draft picks, who loves the draft, but I just, you know, it, it sounds fun, but, you know, even if it's week six, they, they, they move Thomas, it's, you know, 10 or 11 games without Joe Thomas, right. and you're just trying to survive. And now you go into next year, and you not only have to get a quarterback, you have to get somebody who can protect him, and that's terrifying to do both in one offseason. You well, know, especially if they both end up being rookies. You don't want any part of that, so... All right, well, let's talk briefly before we go about this game Sunday at Miami. I will just tell you that I have very little optimism. Um, this Miami team, I've watched them a couple, of, a couple of times. Their defensive line is going to be a problem. Indomitian um, Sue would have been a problem for Irving. He's going to be a problem for, um, for Greco. Sue's a problem for everybody, but um, mostly that means he's a problem in this case for Cody Kessler, and I think that's probably what we ought to be paying attention to uh, going into this game because I have to think the offense is going to, by necessity, be majorly stripped down. And I'll, I'll just tell you, having seen every start of Cody Kessler's college career, I didn't think it was a good draft pick. I wouldn't have drafted him in the sixth, seventh, or any other round. Uh, nevertheless, Jackson – got him in the third, and apparently the deal is that Jackson really liked him because the only time that I ever heard anything pre-draft buzzy about Cody Kessler was from the Move the Sticks podcast with Daniel Jeremiah, and he confirmed directly to me in a tweet last week that that buzz was coming from, ta-da, Cleveland. So I don't think there was anybody out there beyond our guys, or maybe it's just our guy in this case, Hugh, who really thought Kessler was that kind of prospect, and so... In light of everything that's going on around the league, and I hate to be so relative about it, but look, if you do pass up on multiple first-round, quote-unquote, first-round quarterbacks, and a couple other guys in later rounds, like, say, a Dak Prescott, or even a Jacoby Brissett last night, who who got his first win, quote-unquote, um, and you've told everyone, hey, trust me, this Cody Kessler guy's going to be okay, you're suddenly placed in a position three weeks into this regime where you have to not look like an asshole. And I wonder, do you see any way that Cody Kessler has the ability at this juncture to, to create that? Well, starting with Hugh Jackson, the confidence that, that this team has to have that people loved about Hugh Jackson coming into the season also opens them up to get criticized and become, you know, sort of that running joke. And I don't know how many different, podcast interviews, whatever I've heard where, you know, somebody has to mention that the Browns didn't think once was a top 20 pick. Um, so you have to have that confidence. You Which, want, by the way, I thought want, was pretty obvious when they didn't draft him. <laughs> right. Which, yes, yeah, that's, that's part of the thing that just makes this so idiotic is that they didn't pick him. So obviously they didn't think he was the guy. Um, but you want you certainly don't want, you know, this team to be run by a bunch of guys who are, you know, not sure 
you know, indecisive and that. So, I mean, it's, it's a double-edged sword. You want him to be uh, confident. You want him to be decisive. Now, obviously, he goes you know, with the trust me thing. You know, he opens himself up. It, you know, that's where you go from confident and forceful to cocky and just that suddenly becomes, you know, the epitaph on your tombstone at the end of this. Uh, that's, that's sort of a problem uh, that, that they face. But with Kessler, I, I'm with you. I wouldn't have drafted him. But, you know, if, if you're looking at Kessler and you're saying, what should I like about Cody Kessler? When he was effective at USC, because we have yet to see this in a bronze uniform because he was a freaking disaster in the preseason, Mike McMahon-esque, uh, taking two safeties in one quarter. At his best, he got rid of the football extremely fast and put it in the hands of play, uh, playmakers, whether it was Juju Schuster or you know some of these other guys at USC. That's the blessing of being a quarterback at USC. You're never short on weapons. Um, the other part of that is, when he held onto the ball, and this was at USC and certainly in preseason, the longer he held onto the ball, the quicker it was going to be, the, the more likely it was going to be not only bad, but a disaster. And he took a number of awful sacks. One of the safeties he took was just him holding on the ball in the end zone. Um, and that was bad. He's very accurate, uh, which is good. I mean, it, it, the problem is a guy like Cody Kessler would really benefit from a guy like Corey Coleman, a guy you can get the ball quickly and let him make plays after the catch. Obviously, he doesn't have that. And it hurts him that Terrell Pryor, who has been better than anyone could have imagined and, and honestly has been held back by the quarterback, uh, doesn't really work terribly well with a guy like Kessler because, you know, as much as, as – Terrell Pryor seems to show that he can do more than just be a deep threat. So far, he's been mostly a deep threat, and Cody Kessler's not that type of quarterback. Uh, you know, all the talk about, well, he, you know, changed his grip or whatever and throws the ball 10 yards farther. I didn't see, you know, a big arm. So for Kessler to succeed, he has to be able to get rid of the ball quick, which is a good idea against the Dolphins' defensive line. Anyway, you obviously mentioned Indomitian Sioux, uh, you know, Cameron Wake's whatever he's got left. Uh, I think he played all 14 snaps last week, but they've got dudes that can get after the quarterback. And if Kessler holds onto the ball, he's going to get eviscerated. And, and we may be talking about Kevin Hogan uh, for next week, but if he can get rid of the ball, get it to playmakers quickly, I think that can help Duke Johnson should be a huge part of the offense this week. And, and, and it's, it's a realistic complaint that even if you don't run him, he's not getting the ball. Uh, enough. He seems to be in the script, and then he sort of disappears over the course of the game uh, as that receiving threat. And then the other part of it is that that I, you know I don't like about Hugh Jackson this far is how quickly he gives up on a running game. Uh, this past week, the Browns had 105 rushing yards in the first quarter. Granted, 85 of those yards were Isaiah Crowell on the one run. We had 40 rushing yards the rest of the game and nine carries in the second half. I mean, it, it, that Isaiah Crowell run is the whole reason you should keep trying to get carries is because you just don't know when you're going to get into the play that could just break a big one. I mean, the, there was a, a situation in the third quarter where, you know, we, uh, McCown threw an incomplete pass. Uh, then they threw a pitch to Crowell for 15 yards or whatever. And then three more incomplete passes, including the, uh, the Coleman uh, catch on the sideline that was, you know, overturned because he was out of bounds. So that stuff sort of is frustrating to me that the Browns who don't have a quarterback and then are on their second quarterback already 
sort of bailed on the running game. And now going into Miami, when you've got a rookie quarterback, that running game is even more critical. So if they don't trust it or they get away from it or Hugh Jackson gets too cute because you can't be as creative uh, as, as an offensive coordinator if you aren't throwing the ball, that's when you look really smart. Uh, then I think that's going to be a problem. So they have to be able to run the ball. They have to be able to get the ball out of Cody Kessler's hands or it's going to be another disaster. Yeah, I mean, I, I expect another disaster, but I think you've you've summed up well what the plan has to be. You know, it's got to be point guard, quarterback, get the and it would sure be nice to have Corey Coleman or Josh Gordon this week, but you don't, so you're screwed. Um, so I agree with you. I think Duke has to be a big part of it. I think they've got to figure out a way to get the tight ends more involved, and I, I wonder whether we might see um, one of the younger tight ends, uh, Mr. Devolve, this weekend or not. But we'll find out soon enough, and like you say, I think those young wide receivers – in Higgins and Peyton most specifically are going to be forced to step up here in Coleman's absence. How about real quickly, just on our defensive side of the ball, as you look at Miami's offense, frankly, there's nothing on it that threatens me as electric or particularly explosive vis-a-vis the rest of the NFL. I, you know, I'm very lukewarm on Tannehill. There are moments where I think he looks great. There are moments where I think he looks like a converted wide receiver and I'll just the ultimate conclusion is I wouldn't want him as my team's quarterback because I think he puts you in in QB purgatory. But I could be wrong about that. And they've got a very solid defense and some effective receivers. What do you see on that side of the ball? I mean, it seems to me like the Browns ought to be able to be fairly competitive in that half of the matchup. Well, they they have to keep up what they've been doing against the run. Uh, they can't let whoever the Dolphins want to try it out there to run the ball get going uh, and then give them, you know, second and six, third and four type situations. I think that's when Tannehill uh, becomes a little more dangerous because he does have the added element of mobility in that. But if you can stop the run, you can keep them in, in uh, and, and get pressure on him. And, he's not, uh, and then obviously from the Browns to end, you know, if they don't get, uh, if, if Hayden ultimately decided can't cover you, uh, Cameron, who hasn't really done much this year, but the, it would stand to reason that this is the week to sort of see Jordan Cameron really get going uh, and force beat him a little bit early to see if the Browns. And then you still be those ancillary players that can make plays don't have the whole sort of cover all these guys. So it, it it they have to win up front in that front seven that, that can do things but is wildly inconsistent. They have to be able to hold, you know, stop the run, get pressure on Tannehill, make him uncomfortable. And if you can do those things, uh, I think they can make this a very competitive football game. And if they don't and Tannehill gets comfortable and can get Devontae Parker and some of those guys going, this could be a very ugly Sunday. Yep. Could be. All right. Real quick, last thing. You're, and you are, of course, duty-bound to choose the Browns to win this game. So how are they going to get there? Uh, let's go Let's go insane. Let's say 24 to, 24 to 10. Wow, 24 to 10 Browns. Somehow they're going to score three touchdowns. I assume these are all kick returns. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I like that. I'm going to go a little lower, lower scoring. I'm going to say 17 to 13 Browns. Um, no idea how they're going to do that, but Hey, it's nice to, uh, nice to dream Pete. I appreciate it, man. That's Pete Smith 
at underscore Pete Smith underscore. You can find him also at the NFL Spin Zone and Draft Breakdown where he does work. Good talking to you, man, and good luck in, uh, in your game this week. Oh, always. Take it easy. All right, that was my chat with Pete Smith earlier today. Enjoyed that one. Please do hit him up with a follow at underscore Pete Smith underscore. You can catch me again at FTBL Sickness. The show is at the Browns Note. And that'll do it for this week's edition of the Browns Note Podcast. Thank you all for listening once again. We'll get Brendan back on probably next week. Uh, I've got a few other guests I'm lining up for the course of the season, and hopefully we'll have a fun podcast season, even if the football season uh, is not per se that. With that, I leave you. Talk to you after Miami, everybody. Go Browns.